0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, January 11th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Social media companies are uniting against Donald Trump after his supporters attacked the U.S. Capitol. Renters fleeing U.S. cities dent the mortgage-backed bond market. And the EU locks up an investment deal with China, but will it sit well with the U.S.? Plus, the Consumer Electronics Show kicks off today, and it's all virtual. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. This week, the U.S. House of Representatives plans to vote on impeaching President Trump for a second time. This time around is for inciting last week's insurrection at the Capitol. Democrats want to push through the process with just nine days left in Trump's term, Several Republicans in the U.S. Senate, where the impeachment trial would be held, are pushing back. So Congress is still divided over what to do with Trump, but tech companies are more united. Twitter has permanently suspended Donald Trump's account. Facebook has banned Trump from posting on his platform until at least the end of his administration. Snapchat locked Trump's account, and other sites announced bans too. The top app stores, Apple and Google, and Amazon's web hosting service kicked out Parler. That's the social media app that's popular with far-right users. Here to talk about this more is Hannah Murphy. She covers social media for the FT. Hannah, Donald Trump's been inflammatory on social media throughout his presidency and, you know, frankly, even before his presidency. Why are social media companies only taking this decisive action now?
1: So look, you're right that the president has sort of repeatedly pushed the boundaries of the platform's tolerance. And this has, uh, in the past, sparked warnings that violence could be a result. But the platforms have been reticent to act in the past, they've cited sort of free speech concerns and also they've had exemptions that allow government officials to say things that others wouldn't, Um, they deem it in the public interest. But what happened this week, the platforms have called out the, the president for inciting violence directly following the storming of Capitol Hill, which actually led to five deaths, including one police officer, right? I think the biggest risk that the social media companies foresaw was that there would be similar further violence that they would be held responsible for around January the 20th when Joe Biden is inaugurated. And they didn't want to um, face that sort of scrutiny again, because a lot of um, protesters did indeed organise, recruit for the events, and also there were sort of calls to arms that people found on the sites ahead of the storming of the Capitol.
0: In the end, though, Hannah, does it matter? Won't Donald Trump just find another platform to get attention from his followers? And and couldn't Trump start his own media company or or set up his own digital platform, things he said he might do?
1: I think it it does matter Uh, already. I've just read a report from Media Matters, that's a left-leaning nonprofit, that said there's been less traction and engagement with far-right groups on Facebook since Mr. Trump was temporarily banned there. I think when it was just the social media companies, that's taking away a megaphone from the president, but you're right, he could then build his own platform. There's two issues around that. One is that the pipes and plumbing uh, of the internet, or there are these in between sort of middlemen companies that offer web hosting services and security services, without which, if you don't have these services, you simply cannot be on the internet, or you find an alternative provider. So these services have begun to block Mr. Trump, this means, you know, he may not be able to set up a new platform, or if he does, he'll have to go with um, some slightly dodgier third-party services in order to do so. And the final point is just that a lot of the Trump supporters enjoy kind of provocation and engaging with non-Trump supporters. And you know, if if everything moves, all sort of far-right or right-wing uh, support moves onto an alternative platform, you end up with this very strange. A space in which sort of mainstream social media and then conversations happening in a vacuum the side but there's no sort of interaction there's no debate there it would just be people reinforcing their own beliefs and actually I'm, i'm not sure that all social media users want to be doing that
0: wow so really the ultimate bubble thanks hannah hannah murphy covers social media for the ft In the US, renters have been fleeing cities because of the pandemic's health risks or its economic impact. Some can't pay their rent or they don't want to pay high urban rents if they can work from home somewhere cheaper and with more room. This urban renter exodus is creating an unintended ripple effect on the $1.2 trillion market in bonds backed by mortgages on apartment blocks. As occupancy rates for apartment blocks fall, so does the value of these securities. defaults aren't nearly as troubling as they were during the 2008 financial crisis, but investors are watching. There are some signs remaining tenants are beginning to struggle to pay their rent. The Trump administration's policy towards China has been criticized as dangerously unilateral, alienating important allies like the EU. Well, now, the EU is taking its own unilateral steps with China. It recently signed an investment agreement with Beijing that promises to improve market access for EU financial services, as well as healthcare, cars and other industries. I asked the FT's Brussels reporter Jim Brunston, how big a deal is this deal?
2: It's big in the sense that it's something which the EU has sought for a long time. Whenever the EU has talked about its trading relationship with China over the past few years, it's always put this agreement front and center and saying, this is something we have to have to show that we can really do business with China and to ensure a level playing field for our companies. Some have been arguing that the EU is, is really just catching up with the deal that the US has with China. Is that the case? The phase one deal was basically the fruit of the trade war between the US and China. It has things in it which are particular Trump administration concerns, you know, China committing to buy more US soybeans, for example, that aren't at all a feature of the investment agreement between the EU and China. There is, though, a significant amount of overlap where the two agreements are trying to achieve similar ends. The way the EU agreement's structured is you have these issues around level playing fields, and then you also have specific market access arrangements sector by sector for different parts of the economy. And in some of those, the EU certainly sees itself as catching up with the US. Financial services is a case in point, what does the EU hope to gain? What the EU hopes to gain out of it is certain non tariff barriers are, are supposed to disappear. So, we're talking here about things like joint venture requirements. So, the requirement to partner with a local company to access a particular sector or investment caps, you know, straightforward numerical limits on how far European companies can move in and, and claim a share of a certain sector in the Chinese economy. And then, more generally, what you're supposed to have is more of a level playing field. So So the possibilities for China to discriminate by systematically favoring state-owned enterprises over foreign rivals are supposed to diminish. And then that is meant to be governed by a new institutional system that wasn't there before. So what's in it for China? So for China it's very good diplomacy. This is a deal that's the result of EU pressure on China to level the playing field. Overall what this is is basically China saying to the EU, we will grant you some of the rights we've given others because we want to show you that we're a reliable trading partner.
0: But Jim could this cause problems with the US after saying there needs to be a united front towards China? You know, how does the EU justify this agreement to the
2: US? What was driving this was it was a long-standing goal for the EU. The EU didn't like the fact that the US got the phase one deal and it didn't have anything. But then the problem is you have the context. And the context is one where, yeah, you can very easily question why is the EU striking a deal in China when we're going to have a new US administration, where there are growing human rights concerns. There's a crackdown on, on pro-democracy activists and politicians in, in Hong Kong how can you justify this? Well, the way the commission's tried to do it is to say, we have a multifaceted relationship with China. China is both a systemic rival and an economic competitor and a partner on certain issues. So they tried to compartmentalize this. And in, in a way, the grand kind of question that hangs all over this is to what extent can you compartmentalize trade?
0: Jim Brunsden is our Brussels reporter. Thank you very much, Jim.
2: Always a pleasure to be here.
0: The big consumer electronics show kicks off today. It's the industry event for consumer technology companies. Now CES is always full of dazzling displays showing the latest innovations in consumer, automotive, well, all kinds of technology. And it always takes place in Las Vegas. But this year it's being held in cyberspace because of the pandemic. The FT San Francisco correspondent Patrick McGee plans to log in. He told me what organizers are doing to try and recreate the real experience because it's all online, you know, there's gonna be this fight for attention. And so CES has sort of um, introduced like an avatar style thing where each of us attendees can have a sort of digital presence. And there's gonna be some way for you to sort of virtually walk around a room full of startups and sort of gain their attention. And then I imagine you sort of, you know, check in and you're sort of in a WebEx style conference and you can quickly speak to people and see some of the material. But how that actually works I guess what remains to be seen, it, it could be really good. It could be a bit of a disaster. I think one interesting thing is just what lessons are learned this year that become applicable um, in a post-vaccine world over the next 5, 10 years, right? This could be sort of the year that CES makes demonstrable changes that have an impact for every other CES from here on in. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.